podcast, the most heretical podcast about the new Jedi Order. I'm your host, Bria, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Rocky. This month, we'll be talking about Dark Tide 2, Ruined by Mike Stackpole, in which Elagos has a bad idea, Ganner has a come-to-Jesus moment, Corin, don't duel that, and did someone say Jag fell? Yeah, there's a lot going on. So grab, grab your villa, tune in, and enjoy the show. And yeah, are you guys excited to talk about Ruin? Yes! Very excited. Many things are indeed ruined in this book, which is about par for the course now. Yeah, it really is. I had fun writing the intro this week, can you tell? <laughs> yes! <laughs> I just really wanted to say Ganner had a come to Jesus moment, and I felt that was the best way to make sure that happens. I feel like don't duel that is something that can be applied to multiple scenarios in this whole series. Yeah, I'm just picturing Luke, like, herding the Jedi away from things, going, just, just stop, don't fight that, don't, like, use that super weapon. I'm just imagining him, like, in that artwork with, like, the little kids. And, like, yes. Luke's the tall older guy, and all the Jedi are the younger ones. He's, like, has Kip by the scruff of his neck in one hand. And, Corin, and Kip I is trying you. to run away as fast as he can and just kind of, like... <laughs> yes. yes. So if any yes. listeners want to draw that fan art, please do and send it to us, because it'll be beautiful. Uh, okay, so one quick housekeeping reminder for everyone. Uh, just a reminder, we do this podcast spoiler-free, so we're not going to be discussing any of the books ahead of where we are in the timeline right now. So if you're reading along uh, for the first time, you're safe. This is a safe space. And if you haven't read today's book, uh, pause this recording, go read it, and then come back and join us. Unless you just want us to spoil the book for you beforehand. But yeah. So anyways, all right. <laughs> we ready for this? <laughs> the actual discussion of the book in which I get to dramatically read the summary on the back because we're finally getting the hang of this where we have notes. <laughs> Okay. This is this is weird when I go, when I'm the person, like, hosting, and then I do the... Yeah, okay. It's okay, we've got this. Organization and dramatic readings are, will become, our specialties. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gotta say it like, the, like uh, Obi-Wan does. Specialities. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't have enough of that core world's fancy accent yet. I believe yet? you. <laughs> do you plan to develop it soon? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is the right. accent you're looking for. <laughs> All right. The book, the summary from the back of the book. The alien Yu and Vong have launched an attack on the world to the outer rim. They are merciless, without regard for life, and they stand utterly outside the force. Their ever-changing tactics stump the New Republic military. Even the Jedi, once the greatest, guardian, greatest guardians of peace in the galaxy, are rendered helpless by this impervious foe. And their solidarity has begun to unravel. While Luke struggles to keep the Jedi together, Knights Jason Zello and Corrin Horn set off on a reconnaissance mission to the planet Garki, an occupied world. There, at last, they uncover a secret that might be used to undermine the enemy. If only they can stay along live, alive long enough to use it. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> I realize this is not the blurb cast and we're not just reviewing the things on the backs of the book but I like this one in particular because it's not quite as dramatic as the others and then it gets to the end and there's if only they can stay alive long enough to use it and it's just it's great we're back we're here yep. everything's dramatic Star Wars <laughs> melodrama it's where we live 
And there's a lot of it in this book as the stakes rise and both sides start to think about killing large groups of people, basically. Yeah, and we're going to get into that, but like, what were everyone's initial reactions, either the first time you read the book, if you remember, or during your reread? I'm going to say this week for all of us. <laughs> there was a lot more going on in this book than I remember. There were a whole bunch of things. A lot of the events of the book, I didn't remember that they had happened this early in the series. Plus, at least my edition had a lot of weird typos. They hadn't quite figured out how to spell most of the Yuzhanbong words. So there were some pretty hilarious typos in there. Like what? Now I'm curious. Uh, Yorick Coral was consistently spelled more like the Shakespearean, alas, poor Yorick. That's beautiful. Which is now, yeah, this is now like giving me some fun mental images of somebody holding up a Yuzhambong <laughs> skull and giving a Shakespeare monologue. Is it the hardback you have? Yes, yes. I have the hardback oh, version okay. that has both of the Dark Tide books in one. Oh, wow. Huh. Yeah, I didn't even know it's they a did weird that. edition. I discovered it at a used bookstore and acquired it that way. They did those book club editions. I had found a book club edition of the Jedi Academy trilogy with all three in a hardback. And I did not purchase it. And I regret that to this day. Oh, no. That's neither here nor there. (laughs) Um, What what was your reaction, Megan? I think this was one that I had read for the first time in my rereading. Uh, around 2014, if I remember correctly, because I remember when I was skipping around in the series in the first place, the destruction of Ithor was this huge, huge uh, plot point, but it took the second time when I read the trilogy more thoroughly for me to actually get to it. And I still find this one very, it has really strong emotional scenes in it, all the stuff with Elagos, Ithor itself. But I also, on this reread, thought the pacing was very strange. The end is one continuous but surprisingly short battle scene. And I didn't quite feel that it worked. Something about the pacing was a little bit off. Yeah, I remembered the Battle of Ithor taking up way more of this book than it did. Yeah. Like, and I wonder how much of that is like an emotional memory thing, because... That's happened to me with other books, too, where I reread it and went, like, oh, this part was so important, and I get to that part, and it's, like, you know, a page or something, but it looms so large in my memory, and this book looms so large in the rest of the series that maybe that's part of why it feels small when you actually look at it. Yeah, I didn't even remember any of the stuff that happened with the uh, the weapons of mass destruction. I didn't remember that plotline at all. Yeah, I totally blanked that part out of my brain. And I also forgot about how surprisingly philosophical parts of this are. And like, in retrospect, now I understand all the more why I love Jason as a character, just from all of his must think my way through something that probably needs to be fought through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Him him and Gander and Corrin are a really interesting combination together because of that. It's the sort of combination where you fully expect that they're going to end up locked in separate closets on opposite sides of the same ship and left there because otherwise disaster will ensue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really want to uh, make a joke about 
people being locked in closets around Corrin, but that'll be a spoiler for further in the series, so I'll avoid it for now. <laughs> but you know what I want to say. <laughs> I think yeah. Luke has Ganner in one hand and Corrin in the other in this this fan art where they're kids, because he's just like trying to keep everything in order. Yeah. Uh, when you mentioned the whole... Um, the whole philosophical thing. I think that ties or brings us right to the whole discussion of where do you draw the line? Um, because obviously they've already lost one Jedi and they're going to lose a heck of a lot more. And then how do we pronounce her name? Deshara Kor? Deshara Kor? Something yeah, like that. I'm missing Deshara Kor, I guess. That'll work. Um, she kind of goes hunting for rumors or any any possibility of these old imperial super weapons which as a side note i really love that this happened because it ties into other other star wars books that have happened before and it makes it feel like a part of this bigger universe which the star wars books were then obviously but i was like oh there's Quee, my yeah, favorite yes! I love that. Like, the cathedral is in her sort yes! of like melancholic retirement and she got her moment and i really i'm very fond of her yeah yes and the moment of oh yeah we have like a no-fly zone around the cathedral there because uh you guys yeah. wrecked it once before damn it akbar <laughs> <laughs> yeah the cathedral was a trap i mean <sighs> but I mean, like what do you guys think about the whole using like, where is that line? Like, if, if they had found another, I don't know, Eye of Palpatine, a second sun crusher, would using it against the Yuuzhan Vong be okay? Does it make a difference if you only kill the Yuuzhan Vong? It's, I, it's interesting that this is in the same book as Elagos's tr- attempt to understand the Yuuzhan Vong, because for me... Part of the answer to that question would be to explain whether large-scale destruction would even be effective for them. So you need to know what to destroy, you need to know what their resources are. So even if you had a Death Star and could destroy a world ship, at this point, the uh, humans, or the, the our, our galaxy? You know, everyone is not the Yusun Vong. Doesn't really know what the Yusun Vong want. So destroying them piece by piece, or even sort of star system by star system, might not even be effective in this huge scale. We see it on a smaller scale on Ithor, but I almost have to wonder, less is it worth millions of lives to end the war, and more would it even be effective to end the war at all? Which is sort of the more, like, callous perspective, but looking at this the size of a galactic map. You know, I'm reminded of uh, in the Vorkosigan saga, they talk about the usefulness of, of large-scale weapons on a planetary scale, where at some point you're just going to destroy your own resources as fast as you destroy the other guys. And I think this is the same, the same calculations have to be done here. I think there's also, it's interesting that they're bringing up the discussion of super weapons, leftover imperial technology in the same book where the New Republic is reaching out to the Empire or the Imperial Remnant and letting them know we have a problem going on here. 
Mm, and, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to see that together because I'm pretty sure that the Empire, part of the Empire, will would say to that, "Well, of course we get a super weapon. That's kind of how we solve our problems. What do you mean they always blow up?" And then part of the Empire is going to go, that is a colossal waste of resources, and we learned very well that that tends to not work and tends to galvanize opposition. And yeah, we don't actually know what would be the most effective to destroy. You can't just send your Death Star around blowing up everyone's world ship. Death Stars aren't really very good against Coral Skippers either, so uh, yeah. (laughs) I think you're right. The Imperials would be the exact ones who'd know that super weapons don't always work. Yes. The quote that I'm thinking to describe this problem is somewhat spoilery, so ask me about that several books down the line, but... I know what quote it is. (laughs) Yes, yes, I think we all do. (laughs) Yep, that's a very good quote. Um, Yes, and I feel like that is like the everything you need to know about why super weapons are probably a terrible life choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's also a hint here that there might be another kind of super weapon with the the pollen, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. now the Yusun Wang motivated, um, mobilized so quickly to go after that. Because that mm-hmm. is also a super weapon in a oh, way. Yeah. It's a it's a hidden, hidden weapon, and the Jedi are fine with using that. Yeah, which is interesting because, like, that kind of large-scale biological warfare is often seen as kind of horrifying and unnatural. Yeah. Although and, there is the... It doesn't yeah. seem to affect anyone other than the Yusenbang. Like, the Icolorians seem to have studied it and stuff. That does seem to be a case where it would affect mm-hmm. the enemy, but nobody else. Yeah. I love that they just have, like, the armor has an allergy. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I, mean, I, I read that, and in my personal notes, I wrote out... Wait a minute, Von June Crab went into anaphylactic shock, and then I realized I probably spelled it right. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. And yeah. and then I realized, wow, that is such a mundane sort of reaction, but if one's looking at any sort of science fiction from the realistic lens, that's pretty that's a pretty realistic problem. Oh, look at the fancy otherworld animal. Oh, it's allergic to stuff that we have no problem whatsoever with. We just it's... end up accidentally killing them with germs. Yep. I mean, it's something you can only do in a when your when your enemy is someone who hates technology and relies so heavily on organic weapons and organic armor. I thought it was neat that they introduced that so fast and then promptly stomped on it. Well, for mm-hmm. now, they stomped on it. Yeah, um, which also, I kind of think they had to do because, like, if the solution was that quick, the story would have gone a different direction. Yeah, possibly. Mm-hmm. Although. The invasion force is still coming. Like, the whole... It it wouldn't change everything, but it would change a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I love that the old... That the books had maps in them. Because the galactic map in here is so cool. Because you can see how far the Vong have already... Excuse me. Yuzan Vong have already gotten into the galaxy. Like, I didn't realize they had gotten past, like, Dathomir at this point already. And they're basically past Yavin, too. Yeah, it's really weird to me because of the edition of the book that I have, where I don't have a map in Ruin, and I'm realizing as I'm reading later on in it, where I think it's Pelion pointing out, hey, look, the Yushanbong have gotten a long ways into the galaxy, this is a legitimate and significant danger here, and well, what planets do we choose to protect the most, because how do we slow them? Yeah, I mean, they basically go right by the Empire on their way to Ithor. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah. yeah. I do love these maps, like the sort of formal fonts and just the little blurb there that just says Empire. It's, yeah. they're very, I'm very nostalgic for them. I, I miss, too. I love the maps and I love the Dramatis Persona. They're my yes. favorites. <laughs> they they make them. reading this series so much easier for everyone. Yeah. It's it's how you keep track of who the characters are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So do we want to talk about the other big philosophical issue going on with Elagos? He sure. tries. Um I did wanna Or did you want to know to share a core more. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I jumped yes. on it. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I latched onto De share a core because she was that kind of, um, she was portrayed as almost in Kip's camp, but not quite. And she was looking for as much information as possible about these super weapons. There's a little hint that she maybe, I think it was, she, her mother had been enslaved and she did not want to experience anything like that again. So she was coming from a place of, of fear but also of justice in a way and I guess I latched onto her um partially just because she's a Twi'lek and I think they're cool but also because I was really curious about where she would fall in the like moral compass of all these characters and as I read I, I found myself feeling weirdly like she was both emphasized like she's a very important plot point but she was also sort of de-emphasized she has a large conversation or like a turning point of a conversation with Luke that we never really hear they just like come out of an office and they've had their talk and it's, it's not really you don't really see what that talk was so it was both emphasized and de-emphasized at a same time in a way I felt was like not necessarily like horribly wrong in any way, but it was a little unusual. Did you notice anything about that? Did you feel that she was like a, a sort of a central character here or that she was mostly a way to move the plot forward? Like anything about that? Um, I think it, maybe the latter. Like, and I know, like, if you don't have much to add, like, I know she's yeah. not a, a no, really she, big character. I don't mind. I, just, I mean, she's, I a, like her, she's so. a big character in this book, but she also only exists for this book and to tell the lessons in the book, if that makes Or at least that, that's how it comes off to me. Yes, especially with Anakin, right? Yeah. And it's very much a lesson that... It's an important sort of Jedi lesson because they're very fragmented about exactly how to handle this. How aggressive can we get away with being without the dark side? And interesting to see how afraid a lot of the Jedi really are of being aggressive, even if it is in defense. And she's going, you know what? So afraid of so afraid of what could happen that she's willing to cross a major moral line for a lot of the galaxy and go seeking super weapons. And it's interesting to see from her perspective, it makes sense. And that's kind of an ongoing thing in this series from everyone's perspective, they're doing the right thing and it makes sense. The way that her mistakes open her eyes and make some of the others realize, especially Anakin, that like, wait a minute, there is more to think about here than we think. It feels like it's part of breaking down the very black and white that we would otherwise often see in in like a lot of the good guys save the day kind of stories. 
it's showing it feels like it's starting to make us think more about all of the gray if any of that made sense yeah i think it does um this is going a little bit beyond her but uh i think luke has a line at one point where he's saying that this generation of jedi they aren't the ones who grew up fighting the empire they aren't the ones who are involved in that civil war a lot of them only really see the jedi as being the big damn heroes yeah and this this fall into the more gray area is not something that they're used to and they're i think i have half a thought there but i can't quite get the rest of the way to it (laughs) i do feel like more of that thought's going to come out later on in the series yeah Yeah. and more of that's what we're going to talk about later i think which I guess to me does kind of answer that question of like she Desharacor like contributes to the theme of the book, but she's not. She doesn't get as much like character, like standalone character stuff as the others. Which she's a side character, so that's understandable. Yeah, I almost wonder. I'm thinking ahead to uh, another Twi'lek, yes, who appears in the series. Yeah, mm-hmm. almost, there are comparisons there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I almost wonder how it would be if. I guess it's not a spoiler to say a name, but if Alima had had the role that Deshera does or Deshera Core does, and but just not died and gone on to have her her part later on, but huh, interesting, huh? I think that would definitely make her feel like more of a a member of the cast because she she would be she disappear in more things. They do have similar like we'll talk about that later, obviously, but they do have they have some similar discussions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I have so many feelings about Alima. <laughs> so many. So, so many. Whenever we start oh. having that conversation on her. <laughs> oh, Alima. There okay. are a lot of characters in this series that I have feelings about. I think that's true for all of us. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we get one of them in this ah! <laughs> introduced <laughs> i'm saving all the the freaking out over him for a little bit later on I'm i was like you because it's going so to that. be interesting <laughs> yes it is i, I want you to know that my brain was the, the my brain also yelled but i didn't actually say anything but you expressed the sound of my soul <laughs> <laughs> uh, should we get the less the rest of the philosophy out of the way first though yeah yes yes right. before we get distracted again <laughs> yeah yeah elegos then oh god oh i want to hug elegos and just pat him on the head and give him the gold you tried star save him <laughs> does it have to be gold oh it can maybe be purple. purple instead yes. i don't think that makes it better after what shadow shy did to him hmm yeah so like, i got it yeah <sighs> i tried to write this in the notes and i think i like got half of half of a thought in there of um so he was first introduced in the i jedi book which is part of I think why last time i said i felt like i jedi was essential reading for this duology but he's noble he's honorable he always remembers things so if he takes someone's life he, he doesn't do it thoughtlessly and he goes on his little diplomatic mission and he knows it's a bad idea but he tries to understand the Yuuzhan Vong, but it doesn't really work. And meanwhile, Shidao Shai is living in an aquarium feeding people to sharks because he can. <laughs> I love how it took me until this reread to really notice that because in the big scheme of horrors, that's pretty low in the scheme. That's in fact very low. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. There are enough other things to be weirded out or grossed out by that now I'm reading this, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) It's just this very brief line about like, yeah, then he stood in front of the giant shark tank where they occasionally threw prisoners. (laughs) Yup. And then I'm and then I'm just like head desking and going. Shadow Shy is actually I like him a lot as one of the antagonists, and I forgot like how much I really liked him. The number of times I wanted to slap Den, however you say it, Leon there, his minion. The number of yeah. times I wanted to slap that guy for being totally useless and or being like, wait a minute, how is this guy not dead yet? How is he still the incompetent minion? Because it's like your everything off, dare. he does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was definitely well, the yeah. incompetent minion. Well, Shive kind of made me think of, wow, if anybody here on the Yushan Bong side is actually going to start kind of understanding the rest of the galaxy, this guy actually seems to be fairly smart and willing to listen. And yeah, not not quite as much so as I was hoping. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. no, he was just playing for a slightly different faction. Yeah. yeah. I feel like in Elagos's last message, there was a line in there that I think really encompassed why the mission didn't work. The line of they're a complex species whose philosophy is much the antithesis of ours. I feel like that in and of itself was... 100% why that kind of diplomacy is just simply not overly likely to work. He gets there were definitely it, moments but he, he gets does. it, but, but he yes. doesn't get it at the same time. I want to be like, yeah. he keeps holding on to that hope that he can still succeed, even he though he knows s- he can't. Yeah. Yeah, he's still very much just seeing, Elagos is very much seeing the Yuzhan from the lens of our galaxy. And even trying to put himself in their shoes, just the basic fundamentals of how their universe works is so utterly different. Yeah, he's trying to play, yeah, different roles. You see him sort of trying to get it, but he also, at the same time, he must be thinking of how to reduce suffering because he oh, is yeah. a person, like a good person, you know, who doesn't want to increase suffering, but he's also he has to permit some suffering in order to for the diplomacy to work and you can see how that's kind of weighing on him and you can see how that's affecting the way he thinks about the Yusun Bog. but I do wonder whether if he had just survived a little bit longer and been able to talk to a different Yusun Bong ambassador would he have actually been able to succeed I feel like maybe he might have had a little bit more success if he weren't talking to one of their warriors maybe if he yeah. were talking to <laughs> yeah one of their priests or or a politician i feel like he might have gotten a little further just because not talking to someone whose ongoing mission in life is violence but instead someone who's more along the lines of diplomacy and politics even if that comes from a totally different place like maybe talking to somebody whose baseline what they're trying to do with their life is a little bit closer do they even have politicians the intendants, um, yeah, like Nominor oh, and right. all of those other absolutely fabulous assholes who you want to hug and punch at the same time. <laughs> I forget that Nominor. I just think of like that. I just call him that asshole in my mind, like that magnificent asshole. But <laughs> yeah, he's 
he's definitely up there in like my top three favorite terrible people in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the record, I do not want to hug Naminor, but <laughs> no. same. <laughs> no, <laughs> just um, the look. You get a prize for being a terrible person. Now go be terrible somewhere else. Yeah, <laughs> Elagos had gone to someone who had some more curiosity about the rest of the galaxy, maybe, and less just bloodthirst because she you know shy yes. is like ninety percent bloodthirst. Yep. I just, I just don't. I think he was doomed from the start, almost. Until other things happen, I don't think that there's anyone... Oh, we're getting into spoiler territory. Every single other point I want to make about this is going to be made of spoilers, so I'm just going to sit here and bounce frustratedly for a little while longer. Uh, Yeah, let's... And he also... Elagos had to be a good person so that his death would be especially shocking. Although, not that, like, the way he was... You know, his body was essentially presented back to the humans. Like, not that that wasn't shocking enough. Yeah. I I think Corrin is 100% lying when he says he wasn't doing it to revenge him. Or It's 100% yeah. revenge. It's so blatantly, obviously revenge. <laughs> and I got the it's feeling in, in the last revenge. couple chapters... <laughs> Luke is thinking, it's definitely revenge. I knew it was revenge, but I also knew that talking Corrin out of it was positively pointless. Yes. Talking Corrin out of anything is pointless because he's Corrin yep. Horn. <sighs> okay. Should we get to the fun part? <laughs> Listen, I was, I was going to ease us into it by talking about, you know, the military. I was going to crack a great joke about how Mirax and Mara d- totally got arrested for something, but they yes. were exonerated, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I still really want to read that short story. I want to know what they did, that they had to get exonerated. Yes. <laughs> so I have, if we want to, like ease into this a little bit more. I have a question, and it might be a silly question, but I wrote it down in my notes. Um, Pelion talks about he has to consult with, like, his people, right? Like, there's a couple times where he talks about, I have to, like, make sure I'm doing the will of the Empire, right? Mm-hmm. And when I when he referred to, like, his people, I immediately went, wait, so who are the political leaders of the Empire right now? Are there moths? Is this a mofferance? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I, it is. They call themselves like the Council of Moths instead of the Mofferents because apparently God. they're boring. But because <laughs> they're wrong. I think it's the Moths, but also I think that I have to consult with my people is a is a line because yes. there's a point yeah. where he's talking to the Moths before they decide to go and like meet with the New Republic, where he's like, "That's nice." We're doing what I want to do, but your yes. opinions are noted. Yes. <laughs> Moving on. Um, yes. The the Mofferance scene there very much made me think, yeah, Pelion is the emperor, even if he would never take the title or if nobody else would probably ever have the poor sense to take the title. But he's very clearly the emperor and the others. Well, if their idea makes sense to him, he'll go along with it. But otherwise, he's just going to do what he wants. It's kind yeah. of a politeness thing, slash, I have a feeling the New Republic would probably make sad faces if they felt like Pelion was just doing whatever he wanted, regardless of what the others wanted. Yeah. 
But at the same time, he is somewhat beholden to the points of view of his people because that's why they have to pull back at the end is he's like, well, we were trying, but then Ithor went up in flames and I got to go protect the Empire now. Yeah, he understands that there is a line there and that for all that he does have more latitude to do what he wants than than he makes it seem. There's certainly a line of, okay, fine, have to go take care of the Empire first instead of just doing whatever I feel is right. Yeah, it's a benevolent Empire. <laughs> benevolent yes. monarchy. Yes, it's very much, we we cannot admit that we are still the Empire in many ways, but we are. Yeah, they still have the good uniforms. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good transition, I think. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> So I forgot how delightful the chapter in which Jagged Fell, which that is a Star Wars name, in which oh, Jagged Jag Fell is introduced because he just like Jaina sitting there or standing there, you know, watching this big oh yes the Empire they're coming and we're having a, a meeting of the Empire and the New Republic, and she's like ooh I really want to know who what is it Spike leader is that his squadron? It's yeah. gonna be Spike. I'm making it Spike leader for now. Spike um, squadron? <laughs> Spike squadron? I don't know. She's like, ooh, I want to know who Spike leader is. He's the one who's been shooting me down so often because I guess that's what pilots do. And then Jagfell marches in, salutes all the appropriate military people, hugs Wedge, who, oh, surprise, that's his uncle, and then bypasses Borsk and all the other politicians to go shake Jaina's hand because <laughs> she's more important than everyone else because no one likes you, Vela. And now we must all pour one out for the start of the Jaina Soloship Wars. Remind me to get that shirt to wear later on in the series when I'm recording. <laughs> yeah. You just hear the cannons in the distance firing, the smoke rising above the trenches. <laughs> I think I can hear the anguish screams. <laughs> Jag also knows that he he could potentially be giving a bad impression here because I think he um, does he point out or someone else points out. Um, kind of pulled my notes here that it looks like he's bypassing the aliens and people, mm-hmm. yeah, politicians. It's, uh, it's say, Plo. It's Plo who does that. He basically says, "Yo, you racist." Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and Jag is like. No, I'm not. I disrespect soldiers, and all of your soldiers happen to be human. <laughs> and Poe was like, hmm. That was, uh, I can see why that would be a bad look. Yeah. But then oh, he points oh, out yeah. that he's, he's like, okay, you do understand that where I'm from, I'm the minority, right? Like, which I thought was interesting that he's like, I actually have the minority experience where I come from. So. Yeah. Yeah. And. I can also feel coming from the politicians the distinct discomfort with the realization of there's a whole planet of Thrawn species out there. Are they all yeah. like him? We're doomed. They all fly these claw ships. God, I love the claw crafts. I love I them too. so much. They're oh, the I best. yeah. That was they, Nancy's uh, question for us later on. Yeah. Was what yes, are your opinions I on Clawcraft? Them. They're great, they, and they are so, so many good excellent. like artists' renditions of them. Yeah, some of the source books are really good ones. I think they're cool. They're way cool. But yeah, so Jag guys, what do we what do we think about Jag? Or as some parts of the fandom called him way back in the day, Captain Cardboard. 
that is the yeah. politest name that I have for him. Oh, I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't Jag. have a lot of feelings about Jag. He's he's fine, I guess, but I don't really understand. Like, I, I don't see the chemistry between them. But that's nope. just a case of like I just don't ship it. That's not like a value judgment. I just don't yep. really get it. Yeah, for me, Jaina Jag was actually my no TP. I am probably about to get (laughs) Force Lightninged and the Wrath of Yushantar. No, actually, I was a Jaina should stay single. Like, if I had to pick one, I was Jaina Zek, but I was mostly in the, does she really need someone? (laughs) I think that's the the camp I would be into. I mean, I'm on board with that, but, like, that was unheard of back in the day. Yeah. Well, it was, was just like I couldn't because like, like I shift for a negative space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like there's not much value in an argument of saying yeah. neither of them. I don't know. No. I, no. no, I guess I do have feelings about the James Solo <laughs> ship wars. I didn't really realize oh, that. Oh, I definitely have feelings about <laughs> about it. But I was a fanfic writer at that time, so of course I do. Wait, I think we all were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I change yeah. sides like every two years. <laughs> I read it all. It's all or nothing here. (laughs) I read it all, but it was fanfic that made me, that made me be willing to go from no TP to I'll at least hear it out because canon, like canonically, Jaina Jag was absolutely no TP. It was just like Jag also has quite a few chists surrounding him, and they actually make him seem like he has a personality. Yeah. So therefore. Why is he not with his chess lieutenant? Like, oh, seriously, I I shipped that. I I, that was my jag ship wholeheartedly, and still is to this day. Wow, that's an interesting hill in this fandom to die on. But whatever. That that (laughs) is wrong with you. (laughs) Yep, I'm pretty sure I started Jaina Hill. It's like a small, like a mound. It's it's (laughs) It's a small bump in the middle of the road. (laughs) Yeah. I think I started Jaina Zek. And then probably around the Alston books is when I went Jaina Jag. And then I decided to be ornery and went, is it a spoiler if I say who the K is? Uh, no, no, I don't. Okay. I don't. I feel like that ship was in full force fairly quickly in the new Jedi yeah, Order. Yeah, you could potentially be shipping them in this book if you really wanted to. That's true. Well, then I went Kip Jaina just to be ornery because I liked annoying people. <laughs> And then I think eventually I, I, I was like, much, all right. Yeah. I very much saw Kip Jaina, especially later in the series, as more than friends, but not together at times. Yeah. But that was also a lot of my teenage brain, so. Yeah. And then I think I went back to Jaina Jag slash, okay, because AKA, that's clearly going to be endgame at some point. So yeah. I'll just accept it. But I'm also, I think we're all Jaina slash don't need no man. <laughs> Very much happiness. so. <laughs> just like Jaina slash, let her be the sword of the Jedi. Just please. Yes, Jaina slash, a successful oh. and happy career in Rogue Squadron. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, God, yes. That is a very good segue, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. It was completely unintentional. <laughs> you know what? You rocked it because I really like that we get to see, because it's a Stackpole book, there's always going to be a bigger emphasis on the military and on pilots because it's stackpole which i'm always happy to see more of the pilots and more um bringing back all those characters that we really like so there's a couple things i kind of made notes about that i just loved um one of them was her internal monologue where she's like 
Yeah, or not. Actually, it wasn't even internal. I think she was saying it to someone about how uh, they'd be evaluating new pilots and she would flag the same ones as Wedge and Tycho as being unsuitable because she'd be using the force and they would just be like, yeah, we know shit. And I thought that was really, really cool that she has the respect for the experience and the talent and doesn't say that the force is better than that because that becomes an issue in like much further down the publishing line where people tend to be like, oh, the force does everything. Ta-da. Yeah, Jaina's very well able to recognize that you can still be awesome and ridiculously overqualified without being force sensitive. And I feel like her military experience is part of what helps her realize that there are plenty of other paths to being competent. And though the force is an excellent superpower, it does not have to be the be all end all of everything. It shows that she gets a couple, she gets a leg up, like she's leveled up a little bit, but it's brought her just to the realm of being comparable with these people who have a lot of experience. It's not like she's doing anything that's like extraordinarily supernatural in this instance. Yeah. She's also, it seems, very well aware of the fact that being Jaina Solo and being a Jedi is a massive leg up and she has to kind of try to normalize herself surrounded by all these people who are thinking, well, you could do whatever you want. Why are you here with us? And she's able to acknowledge that the quote unquote normal people she's with also have a lot of value. Yeah. And I liked it. I showed a lot of maturity from her, even though I keep, for- I can't believe she's 16 years old. She's like, too I- old to be 16. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's amazing how much she yeah. was giving Jason advice because yeah. they seem very like she does seem older than him, and I like that she, for whatever reason, she seems to have like her head on straight compared to him. And they they have a conversation that I thought really illustrated the difference between them very well because she uh, Jason is doing his usual philosophical struggle and Jaina advises him to instead of trying to figure out how best to um, sort of create the relationship between the Jedi and the force which could apply to all Jedi at any time instead just to focus on uh, perfecting being himself which Mm -hmm. can come off as very cheesy but I think in this situation was made very clear because he had been he had not been doing that. He'd not been focusing on himself in the way that he showed it all. He'd been trying to solve this huge problem. And she says that because he's so smart, he can skim over like easier problems and becomes consumed with larger problems, uh, taking no possibility as a given. He makes everything, everything becomes uncertain, everything becomes fluid, and therefore nothing is... He can't latch on to anything and say, okay, that's true. I can count on that. I may have written mood next to these notes when I wrote this initially. (laughs) (laughs) So, and that whereas Jane is much more stable. Yeah. Isn't there even a little bit where she's like, yeah, women mature faster than boys? Yes, yes. I saw that line and I just, I just laughed. It's really interesting how fast she seems to have grown up and how fast Anakin seems to be growing up. And some of that makes sense in a time of war, but especially in reread within these first three books, I still hold it as kind of a headcanon that the age of majority is a little lower in 
in the galaxy. Plus, kids are, teens are given a lot more adult responsibility in a world where getting your pilot's license in some form or another could easily be the cultural equivalent to getting a driver's license in the U.S. I feel like I feel like teens are given a little more freedom overall, and especially being such prominent teens, the solo kids have had to grow up even faster than average. But they just seem very old. Way for their too age. mature. They're That's very old for their age, and they I feel like they almost haven't seen enough war for it to make really good sense. Wait another couple books and that'll change, but <laughs> I just want to almost give them find a video that game. line about like yeah. women mature faster as a little bit of an excuse not to characterize yeah. her as much. Like not yeah. to have like here's a really solid reason why she believes this particular thing. It was just like, oh, she's more mature. Okay. I didn't like I didn't find it to be like hugely offensive or anything, but it did feel a bit like a shortcut to me. I almost would have liked it better if she had made a joke about being mm-hmm. older than him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> or even refer back to Rogue Squadron. Like she's had this network of people that are going yeah. through very similar problems with as she is. She's been in all these simulations. You can't simulate a philosophical question the way you can simulate a Starfighter battle. She's had more chances to clarify her views on the thing that she is fighting for in a way that Jason by nature of what he's thinking about can't because there's no way to like simulate the entire philosophical underpinnings of the Jedi until you get into like unless you're gonna go like Mortis style. No. Brian just no. Shall say Jedi philosophy for a few more books. <laughs> yes, I, I, I okay, it's... I was gonna reference something else and then I chose not to. And then I'm it's like, it's just Mortis. I have a, I have a gut reaction of no, no, no. I mean, Mortis. I agree. I generally agree. I'm still but trying I like to wrap my other. brain around it. So, I just my my gut reaction just comes from Fate of the Jedi, where yeah, oh, no. oh yeah, we tried this, didn't we? Yeah, I still don't actually know what happened in Fate of the Jedi, and I still don't think I'd be able to reread it and figure out what happened in it so tentacles tentacles happened i know there were a lot of tentacles madness and extremely poor life choices on many parts but otherwise i have no idea what happened i'm kind of content with that i bailed out like two or three books in i think i don't think i I don't know if i'd be able to reread it i really don't do not recommend (laughs) part of me needs to find out and part of me thinks i shouldn't (laughs) <laughs> I'll link you to the Walru Express from that from those. Oh, then. good. <laughs> but yeah, but, going yeah. back like twenty years in the timeline. <laughs> Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, speaking of de- making decisions that uh, maybe people shouldn't make, let's talk about Ganner. <laughs> oh, Ganner. Ganner has. I just keep on saying Ganner. Ganner's come to Jesus moment because it's just fun to say. <laughs> But yeah, Ganner. This is I love that we get his his characterization or his uh what's the word I'm looking for? His uh evolution as a character. It comes I love very his slowly. evolution. I disliked natural. him a lot more in this reread than I remember disliking him before. I I don't know, but I really when he he like almost threatens Valen Horn. I was just like, alright, I can't, I can't with you. But his change of heart is very convincing, and he, because he, like, becomes a different person, almost, in a lot of ways, and, like, he has this symbolic scar now, and it, it was pretty effective. 
Yeah, he's but he's still dramatic about it. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> I like he he's is. Like, no, no sedative. Burn it. Cauterize okay. the wound. Okay, <laughs> now give me drugs. Like, he's like competing in the Jedi Drama Queen competition or something. But at the okay, same time, well, he did go like from the very first, like from the beginning of the book where you desperately just want to dump a bucket of water over his head to the end of the book where you're just like, oh, so it seems like he does have some redeeming qualities. More on him several books down the road. So yes. far, this has actually been the hardest one for me to avoid spoilers for later books on. Huh. Yeah. But I, I like it. Like you said, it, it felt, I think it felt pretty natural how he came to the other point of view. And it didn't mm-hmm. feel entirely like it was one of the characters just like beating him over the head with, this is the right opinion. You must have it now. Like he, it took him a while. He stumbled a little bit, but eventually he went, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah. And really, that is the best bet, in, excuse me, for like long term changing one's viewpoint is actually understanding what the other side is saying and why that makes sense. So it's actually nice to see that, even though even though it's still definitely done in such a dramatic way, it does feel like a lot of our Force users are like, okay, which of us is the biggest drama queen? Yes, this is a <laughs> All challenge. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And even when Luke is trying not to be dramatic, he becomes dramatic. He's a Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Skywalker. He just walks down the street dramatically, cloak billowing, all of that. The black cloak billowing <laughs> when yes. Luke is there his, for the his duel. Heels smacking against the concrete. The black oh, cloak Luke. billowing, and I'm just laughing at the mental image and just going, I could have sworn he was supposed to be one of the good guys combined with the Jedi. Like, no wonder everybody can tell you're a Jedi. Nobody else has that much style and flair and drama surrounding <laughs> them at all times. Just the panache is amazing. I'm pretty sure that Jedi couldn't, like, walk down the street to go get a coffee without without doing it dramatically. No. <laughs> so when Kip is trying to make his factions, he's set up, like, ready for a debate in the Jedi Temple, and uh, Luke comes in and just sits down on the stairs in between the two desks, like the two tables that Kip has set up. And I really love that moment because it it shows such like humility, but at the same time Luke is very clearly making a statement and like, you know he planned this or Mara planned this and it's like I'm gonna diffuse all this electricity in this room by refusing to take part in this faction fight and i really love that scene it it also reminded me of the last jedi because he argues as he does in the sequel trilogy and under very different circumstances that um being known as a warrior after return of the jedi was an ill-conceived myth that he should have worked harder to dispel that like people think he and i think people do this in the real world too you know you say oh luke skywalker defeated the emperor when like that's not what happened like in the movie that's not really what happened he he saved Darth Vader and Vader defeated the Emperor but that's not as easy to read or as like it doesn't go into that heroic narrative as much and here he is in this story trying to grapple with that I really liked that and thought it was interesting how uh in a way it was similar to the sequel trilogy obviously the circumstance is very different he doesn't have the kind of guilt he does in the sequel trilogy but he has that understanding of what his public persona is is not necessarily the best persona to actually build the jedi order on and kip is concerned about the lighting (laughs) 
uh, priorities <laughs> or lack thereof. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's a really good point, Megan. Um, I hadn't thought about like thought about it like that before. If I can speak English. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's uh, that's about all I have to say about Luke. I, I mean, the point we made earlier about how Corin is definitely going to fight for Ithor for revenge, but Luke is like, no, it's worth it because you're also going to be saving, or as it turns out, trying to save this huge, uh, complex, you know, bountiful ecosystem. Um, that's definitely a moment I think where Luke uh, is very much a warrior without touching the dark side yeah do we want to go ahead and talk about corin and his duel corin don't so. fight that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's Corrin's just bringing birds and putting them on the front stoop like a cat <laughs> <laughs> now i have this really good mental image of corin like walking home dragging shadow shy like by the back of the neck walking in like look i brought this home for you and, and, I brought like, this for you. And like dumping him <laughs> on the floor in front of the Jedi Council, being like, "Look, I brought it home. Do I get a cookie?" <laughs> <laughs> Luke's like, "No, like we go go bury it in the backyard." <laughs> he's civilized. Gosh. But yeah. So uh. he's, he's like, "All right." So I like that he's like, "All right, I'm gonna duel. It's gonna be great. It'll work." And Fela's like, "Uh, please don't." Gorn's <sighs> like. Yeah, when you tell me not to do something, I do it anyways. Corin, no. Corin, yes. <laughs> yeah, Corrin, God damn yeah. It. I feel like this book also had a lot of times of failure getting shut down very nicely. I think one of my notes somewhere was, do we need a count of how many times failure needs ice for that burn? <laughs> <laughs> so many. <laughs> so, so many. <laughs> More on that too later. <laughs> I feel like he gets shut down like at least once, once a book in this series, or at least he has been so like, far. Yes, I feel like that's part of like the great New Jedi Order drinking game. Like finish your drink every time failure gets shut down so badly that you almost feel bad for him, but don't. It's just everyone's punching bag for a while. Yeah. I mean, he, he kind of does it. deserve it. He does totally. But I thought the it fight was... at the end was from partially from Luke's point of view and I think because of that it was like extremely elevated and extremely dramatic and calls forward to the past and back to the future and like the the dialogue is very almost western style like this town ain't big enough for the both of us kind of thing because it's like this planned duel right yes um, the you're so sloppy those bones won't want to come home with you yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like kept laughing in the middle of this duel and going, no, I'm trying to read like a nice dramatic scene and I just keep having to pause and laugh. <laughs> the part that really took me out of it, like I generally like it was it was fine. And this kind of writing like this is very close to my heart because like a lot of my early fanfic was written like this, which I think a lot of people's early fanfic is, which is like wonderful and essential. But there's a line about uh, harvested incarnadine fluid. <laughs> Basically, like, he stabbed him. Like, he stabs him and there's blood. <laughs> but I just could not deal with that line. And I, it, all respect, but it was too much. <laughs> and I love yes. it. Yes. All of the over the top <laughs> parts, I feel like, are just part of what makes this whole series 
so delightful. Yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely like I don't even want to sound ironic about it. They are what makes this what it is, and I love that. Yes, it's over the top. It's ridiculous. But what else are you going to do with a bunch of extra galactic aliens who are totally horrified? Or like the description of trying to figure out which villa belongs to the Yuzhambong commander? Sort on ugly. And, like, I read that line and, like, died again. And I'm like, well, you know what? All the really, really hilarious snark and the perfect one-liners and over-the-top stuff, it's part of why I love this. It really yeah. is. You can only do and that then, in the old Legends books. Uh, yes. And honestly, sort on ugly is decent advice to figure out who's in charge in the Yuzhambong world. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, I still don't understand why it is that Corin gets the blame for Ithor. Because he does the duel and he wins. And then the Vong Yuzen Vong <coughs> renege on the deal and they're like, fire So I don't I, I never really understood how it's supposed to be Corin's fault because what was the alternative? They were just gonna burn it all anyways? Yeah, something like that. Well, the Jedi were acting with the best intentions, but I think they forgot that, well, the Yishanvong might just lie about whether they'll uphold their end of the bargain. There's nobody out there to enforce that they do. Yeah. Yeah. They also, Corrin asks Luke to disassociate the Jedi from me. He almost asks to be put on the like, put on trial, that's not the right word, um, thrown under the bus <laughs> for this. He, like, the the politicians are going to blame the Jedi as a whole, I think, and Luke's talking about how to handle that. Um, uh, Corrin says, Luke, uh, Felaya has made him complicit in desecrating Ithor because I invited Shidao Shai to meet me there. I saw one report, oh, Ganner says, I saw a report that suggests you should have known that a fallen Yusan Vong leader is always immolated, which is, like, incorrect, but basically, to me, that meant that the populace is beginning to think this was the Jedi's fault. Felaya is going along with that, and Corrin is stepping in and saying, I don't want it to come out that or I don't want it to, like, this rumor to catch fire any more than it already has. People are blaming the Jedi. Let's not let that happen. Let's just let them blame me individually. Like, it's this whole rumor mill thing that Corrin tries to step in front of. Yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's just... Or maybe it's just par also partially Corrin just being a goddamn drama queen. I think it yeah. is too partially. He Corrin has a lot of guilt too that he's kind of almost feels like he needs to take that on himself yeah to do his penance yeah yeah because he talks to elagos and he's very like obviously he's upset about ithor but he's also upset about how close he went to the dark side during that fight true Mm-hmm. oh corin honey <laughs> And that's part of why I love Corrin. Later on, there's a tweet. Uh, Amy asked, why am I having all these feelings about Corrin? Part of the reason I'm having feelings about Corrin is because he feels things very deeply himself. Like, yes. he's very... You see how much he loves his family. You see how much guilt he has when he fails. He just has a lot of feelings, and I relate to that. Yeah, well, Nancy he's wants not... to know if she can hug him. He needs yes. a hug. He really does need a hug. <laughs> I don't see why not. Yeah, and like... Unlike Naminor, he is a good candidate for hugging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
and like like Corin is trying so hard to do the right thing and be the good guy and he's willing to go a very long ways for better and worse to do the right thing and it all blows up in his face and that kind of like that's really disheartening for anyone trying to do that all of your best efforts are still just not working no matter what you do that's difficult and especially in the face of an invasion where every time they turn around it's like actually no we cannot figure out how to defeat them no really we can't oops lost another planet no really we don't know how to kill them and it's just it's really disheartening yeah, he begins to feel the sense of hopelessness that I think a lot of people are feeling throughout the series, but he's feeling it very personally right now. Yeah, and the rest of the galaxy is definitely now starting to realize that this is a very serious threat, and their leaders and their military are just simply not capable of handling it. Yeah. From a more meta perspective, I almost have to wonder if it, it partially has to do with they needed a way to to lose because if you look at it Stackpole kind of really assembles the A-team a way that they could beat the Yuuzhan Vong they have the pollen on Ithor which you know allergies no one really fights well when they're sneezing and then you have Antilles Peleon and Crefe together all being like alright we're gonna do this and I almost feel like they had to split up that dream team of a trio and so it's, I feel like it's almost partially why Corin had to ultimately lose because otherwise I mean you're not going to have a 19 book series if you succeed in book three yeah, yeah. this book was maybe almost saying like we're not going to have a quick solution because obviously people are known as a 19 book series but it's also part of the uh part of what it's establishing in the beginning is that some of the traditional Star Wars heroic tropes aren't going to work, which is, I think, something it also has in common with The Last Jedi, weirdly. This is not going to go the way you think? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But it's saying that, like, the super weapons aren't going to make it dead. Like, there's not going to be a last minute, like, this will unexpectedly save us. You're going to... It's the complete opposite of A New Hope. It's, like, a new, like complete dearth of hope right it's what would be a new despair (laughs) (laughs) um it's showing that there isn't gonna be a a heroic fix or a quick fix and all these grandiose ways that we think this could go right are in fact gonna go terribly wrong yeah (sighs) yeah they're just trying to fight something that is completely and utterly alien that does not work in the ways that they think it will yeah, and even on a moral sense, like, it won't respond to their morality in a way that they are used to. Like, even, well, that was the whole thing with Vader, you know, Luke managed to find, like, the good in him. And, and this, I'm keeping this, like, to this book, right? But at this point, they're, the Jedi are kind of being shown that, like, Olagos tried the peaceful effort and that won't work right now. I feel like, much like this book, we have, we're ending on a downer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just gonna... It's gonna I get worse. Like gonna it has away. to get substantially Let's worse see. before it gets any better. I know. I know. I try to think of something happy from this yeah, book. Yeah, I just, I just keep thinking um, of the next two books, and I'm like, oh no. The next two podcasts are gonna be such a downer. We, ha- we have to end this <laughs> oh, one on a higher note. 
Um, Corrin and uh, Mirax were nice. There were a couple. There like, was a really cute, mushy Luke and Mara scene. Yeah, yeah. There, I think that was very close to the Corrin and Mirax one. Yeah. There were a couple like these two. This couple is happy. You see. Yes, and just like, oh, well, I'm just going to enjoy that for now because we all know very well that everything blows up in your face in this entire series. So yes. Yeah. Oh, I did like. Uh, kind of. I think we. Might have talked about it a little bit before, but like Gavin giving Jaina the whole like humility chat because he's used to be one of the little tiny baby rogue squadron kids and now he's all grown up and it's adorable. It really does feel like Jaina suddenly has all of these aunts and uncles or older siblings who've kind of all like adopted her and been like, oh, look, tiny baby rogue. Must corrupt her. I mean, make her grow up properly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's part of the fantasy of Rogue Squadron, right? Yeah. Like, part of that fantasy of, like, joining the team that you've always wanted to join is that once you get there, everybody will be friends. And everybody will want to help guide you to be, like, your best self, as she tells Jason. As long as yeah. you don't die. Yeah, oh. <laughs> well, she loses her wingmate, um, and she gets all sad. Uh, I know. Annie, and then she's like, I didn't really know her all that well, which was, it was sad, but it was like, it was interesting that she kind of only notices that later. Yeah. yeah, okay. I brought us back down on a sad um, note. Okay, we have to have- <laughs> I have, I, I have one more thing that might be slightly less uh, okay. sad. I'll try to get the sad parts out of the way. <laughs> so I realized when I was reading this that I have a very clear mental image of the solo apartment because the twins, or the, the siblings, mm-hmm. right, are talking in the apartment at one point and it describes like there's a suite upstairs where Han and Leia's room is and like Han comes down and talks to them and there's a description of him like, coming down the stairs and I have this very strong mental image of them having like a corner apartment with like these big windows and like I could draw I I drew it when I was reading this because I wanted to know if I could actually like make it as clear as I could and it just I just thought it was kind of fun to plot out like they'd need this many bathrooms and like <laughs> this is how we get from one place to another in their apartment and like seems in my head it's got a two-story window because they talk about the view out onto Coruscant is like really beautiful in my head it's got like a two-story window and then Han and Leia's suite is like a loft part Ooh. <laughs> did you say you drew this out I did you draw tweet it. a picture of it for people yes. to see yes now uh, I'm curious do I, I drew it mm, I'll see if I can find it I drew it at work and I might because I didn't tweet it immediately mm-hmm. it, it might be lost but I'll I'll definitely uh look for it see if i can or i'll just draw another version by the time the episode's yeah. up oh i have something i know we kind of talked about before but to make it happier what do we think mara mirax did that they had to be exonerated oh <laughs> my brain thinks that it has something to do with stolen identities and large sums of money yeah, I, I definitely thought stole something, whether that's, like, artifacts or just, like, they robbed a bank. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe some kind of imperial artifact that Mara knew about. I kind of now like the idea, because I just saw the, the new trailer for Ocean's 8, but I kind of like the idea of, like, Tarek's dozen or something, where, you know. Yes, oh man, scoundrels mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yes. she calls, but she calls all the ladies, so she's like, <laughs> yeah. yo, Iella, yes. Winter, what's up? Let's yes. go do something crazy. Yes. And Winter is totally the one who makes them pretend to look respectable or calls someone to bail them out afterwards. 
She has to call Leia. Yes. Like, hey, Leia. Yes, I'm hi. In- this is my phone call from jail. By the way. <laughs> Remember all those times I babysat your kids because you were busy? Okay, come bail me out of jail. Thanks. And Leia's probably thinking, oh, man, oh well, so I could must be, be Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do we have any last thoughts on Ruin before we wrap things up? No, I think that's a good, uh, less despair place to end. (laughs) Okay, Rocky, anything from you? Or we go all going on out on the no despair note. (laughs) Um, yeah. Before I can add any more despair, let's end it there. Okay, so uh, where can everyone find us online? I'll let whichever one of you guys wants to go first. I can be found online primarily at Blogful of Words on Twitter. My website is blogfulofwords.blogspot.com. I have links there to StarWars.com, to uh, Twine Games, and to a couple like various different fan sites, and to Den of Geek. So that's that's what I do. And I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, and somewhere within 1138's archives there is some of my writing back when i did that on a regular basis but yes you get all sorts of interesting fandom observations and life observations on my twitter okay and then you can find me uh at chaos brea on twitter and i'm also the managing editor at tashi station and i run or co-run white hot room which is a geek fashion blog uh, as for the podcast, you can find us. We are distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. Join us next time when we read Hero's Trial by James Lucino and Han Solo gets really, really depressed. We're not kidding about that part. Uh, you can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Voncast and sending any tweets to the main Tashi Station account, which is at Tashi underscore station. Thanks for listening and until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.